So the last time I was up here, we went through the first eight verses of Philemon. Uh, now, as we discussed, Philemon is primarily about forgiveness. Uh, the forgiveness of Philemon to his slave Onesimus. Uh, now, today I want to take a step back and have a bit more of a look at what, um, what forgiveness is before we come back to uh, Philemon again. And we know that we are instructed to, uh, to forgive. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, 32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And Colossians chapter 3, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And when we look at um, Jesus's ministry, he saw forgiveness as uh, very, very important because he even looked at the Ten Commandments and saw that there was one of the Ten Commandments there that he related to reconciliation. And when I talk about forgiveness, I'm talking about reconciliation at the same time because they, they go hand in hand. In, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, starting from verse 21, uh, Jesus is talking and he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which is basically empty-headed idiot, um, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So Jesus is saying his anger with your brother is as bad as murder. And then he goes on to say, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar. So immediately, before you do anything, leave the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Uh, so that, that's how much Jesus saw reconciliation. Uh, and when we talk about forgiveness, we, it's a core area of, of our faith that Jesus came and uh, died on the cross to forgive us our sins, um, but it's also about reconciliation with each other. So reconciliation with God and reconciliation with each other uh, in, in the body. Let us come to a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you that we can be here today. Thank you that we can worship you and, and we can read your word and, and learn more about you. I, I pray that as we delve into the Bible today that our hearts would be open to be able to receive your word, Lord. And, uh, and if there's anything on our hearts that we need to change, I, I pray that you will put it on us to change. I thank you for this time. Amen. So 
when we, again, talk about forgiveness, these are just two definitions that I came just from uh, Cambridge Dictionary and the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. So, first one, to stop blaming or being angry with someone for something that person has done or not punish them for something. And the second one, to give up resentment of or claim to requital. Basically, it's wiping the slate clean, removing any debt payable. And this can be physical, like money, but it can also be hurt or, or retribution. Um, as I said, it's a, it's a basic principle of, of the Christian faith. With 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we as sinners forgive, uh, ask for forgiveness for our sins, God is good enough to give us eternal life. But then Hebrews goes one further. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And Isaiah, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And this is an important thing. Whatever we've done in the past, whatever we're going to do in the future, God says that he is not going to remember them. Now, that doesn't mean that he forgets about them and physically doesn't actually remember them because that would remove, remove the uh, omniscience character of God, the all-knowing character. What it means is that our sins, if truly repented of, if truly turned away from, no longer have any consequence. Our sins have been totally forgiven. Now, I want to have a bit of a look at about what God's forgiveness actually is. What are the characteristics of God's forgiveness? And the first one up there is that it is freely given. Have a look at Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So not some have sinned, but all have sinned. Everyone in this room, everyone in Forestfield, everyone in Australia has sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. It is a gift that we receive. There is nothing that we can do apart from believe, ask for forgiveness, and turn away from our sins. Uh, God's forgiveness and grace is a gift that has been freely given. It cannot be earned. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. There is a qualification to get into heaven. It is to be perfect. None of us are perfect, but Jesus died on the cross and qualified us. He has delivered us from sin so that we may not uh, we may not go into heaven, which is what we change uh, not go into hell, which is what we rightly deserve. And then verse fourteen, in whom we have redemption through His blood, through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sins. But the second one is it's given for all. Now, as I was doing uh, uh, research into this. There were a small number of people that would say, well, Jesus hasn't forgiven everyone for their sin. Contend with that, that it's people do not receive it. 
It is there for everyone to accept, but if they don't receive it, then they don't get the benefits uh, of it. So it's given to everyone, though not everyone will accept it. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And 2 Peter chapter 3, The Lord does not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. He is patient. He is waiting for us to turn to him. Not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. So forgiveness is for everyone, but not everyone is going to receive it. And therefore, they're not going to receive the benefits of it. But the third is that God's forgiveness is the removal of punishment. So Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ, Jesus our Lord. God forgives us so that we don't have an eternal death, but we have eternal life. And when, when does that eternal life start? The second you believe. So if you believe, you have eternal life right now. And we should be joyful about that. We should be praising God every day. Again, 1 John 1, nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is what, what we need. Uh, God has to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because even a little blot, a little sin is separation from God. Now, while uh, God does remove uh, the punishment, there is still discipline. Uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 5-6. My son, do not despise the uh, chastening or discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. It goes on in verse 7 to say that which father does not discipline his son. Um, and we are going to move away from God from, from time to time. We are going to look at ourselves that for whatever reason we, we feel we can do it ourselves. We, we will fall, we will sin. And it is that time that God may choose to discipline us to bring us back. So it's an important part of the Christian life that we have to go through some, some form of discipline as we move away. It's also a time to learn uh, more about God um, in that time. In Psalm 32, this is David writing. It's the time when um, he had had the infidelity with Bathsheba. He had uh, killed Uriah, uh, her husband, had a child with uh, Bathsheba. And in Psalm 32, he says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old, through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. That hand was heavy upon me is the discipline that, that David was, was receiving. But then in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So while we may be disciplined, it is the 
been continually forgiven. That is uh, part of God's forgiveness as well. Uh, and this is, this is really, really important, um, that while all our sins have been covered, all our past sins, uh, God continually forgives us. Um, in 1 John chapter 2, My little children, these things are right to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, and you can, that can almost be written, when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Uh, the whole world there uh, in context is talking more about the, the believers of the world, but, but that verse clearly shows that while we are going to sin, Jesus is still there um, as our advocate uh, to be able to continually forgive us for the sin so we can have that relationship with God. Um, and the final one there, and this is the reason for all the others, is, is the reconciliation. Uh, forgiveness reconciles us to God. Uh, in Colossians chapter 2, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. The, the comparison there between being dead in your trespasses and then being alive together with him, being dead is separation. Uh, you're, you're, you can't have a relationship with someone when you're dead. Um, but when you're alive, it's not just alive, it's alive together with him. That reconciliation, because we have had our, all of our trespasses, all of our sins forgiven, we can have that reconciliation with God. And continuing, he has wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way and having nailed it to the cross. It's, it's no longer there. It has been wiped clean. It has been taken out of the way. There is now nothing in the way for us to have a, a true relationship with Christ. And then Romans chapter 5, 10 to 11. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Isn't that amazing that when we were enemies... We didn't want to know God. We weren't looking for God. God was still reconciling us through the death of his son, through the death of Jesus. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Because we are reconciled, because we have this relationship with God, we should be rejoicing with him. Uh, Every day that you wake up, do you rejoice that you have this relationship with God? Every time you open your Bible, do you rejoice that he is speaking to you through his word? I certainly hope that you are. So, so that is God's forgiveness. And then I wanted it to compare to the forgiveness that uh, we are asked to make. And you can see most of them are the same, it's just that there's been one, one change that I've done there and I'll, I'll explain. And Jesus is our model of forgiveness. 
He showed mercy uh, he showed mercy to a great number of people, forgiving their sins. When, when he was hanging on that cross and the soldiers were divvying up his clothes, what did Jesus say when he was on that excruciating cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And when Stephen in Acts 7.60, uh, when he was being stoned to death, he said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. His last words to his killers before dying was a word of forgiveness. And that's the way that we are asked to forgive as well, that in any situation we are asked to forgive. It doesn't matter what circumstance we are in, we are told to forgive, though this can be very hard. In Colossian, uh, now, the reason of change that number three, not seeking revenge, is we can't save sinners. And we sometimes, when we forgive, we can't remove punishment either. If, uh, if we commit a crime, we can be forgiven, but we may still have to go to jail. We may still have to take the, the consequences. But importantly, we are not to seek revenge. Uh, as it says in, in Romans 12:19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let the Lord have vengeance. But maybe the Lord has called your enemies. You don't want to get into the way of the, of the Lord's work by seeking revenge, creating hatred, and turning your enemy away from the Lord. And when we talk about continually forgiving, what did Jesus say to Peter, when um, Peter came and said, how often should I forgive? Should I forgive seven times? Jesus said, no, you should forgive 70 times seven. And that doesn't mean that you get to 490 and then say, no, that's it, you are now unforgivable. It's meant to be, you can't keep count. Uh, if anyone is counting up to 490 and get to 491, I think that they've got a heart issue themselves. But again, continually being continually forgiven can also be very hard as well. But as I said, Jesus is our example and is to show God's love. God forgave us, therefore we should forgive others. And then importantly, what forgiveness is not, because while we can say that we are to freely forgive, there are certain things that it's wise to be doing. So, so firstly, forgiveness is not about forgetting. We know that saying, forgive and forget, and while that might be important sometimes, it is not always wise to forget, and this goes hand in hand with the second one, it's not allowing to be offended again. Um, I'm going to steal from something that David uh, told me uh, in relation to this. If, if, if you leave your wallet on a table and someone comes along and steals $50 from it, you will forgive them, or you are told to forgive them. But you're not going to leave your wallet on the table for them again, are you? 
you're not going to forget that he had done that, not to harbour any resentment, but not to be offended again, not for him to steal from you again. Forgiveness is also not about removing pain immediately. Pain will disappear over time. If a husband cheats on his wife, it is going to be very, very painful for the wife. But if there's going to be reconciliation, there also needs to be forgiveness. But that pain is going to be there for a long time. And the trust in that relationship is going to be broken. But we're still asked to forgive. It's also not a one-time event. If we look at the pain, if the pain keeps coming up, we're going to have to forgive again and again and again. We don't want to be caught on the hook of non-forgiveness where we are the prisoner. We need to make sure that we are freeing ourselves and forgiving over and over again. And it's also not to be done through bitterness. Not through the uh, gritted teeth. Uh, not like a, uh, when you ask a child to forgive someone and they first say no and then you ask them again and they say, okay, I forgive you and then do give them a raspberry or something like that because they don't mean it. It's, it's removing all of the, uh, as Ephesians chapter 4, 31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. If you maintain bitterness, you're not going to be able to have reconciliation. If you have rage and anger, you're not going to be able to have reconciliation. Um, again, going back to what I mentioned before about some people say that we don't need to forgive uh, because God hasn't forgiven everyone. I, I was thinking a few different examples, and one that I came up with was... If you're in a car accident, now, what is one thing that the insurance companies say you were never to do? Yeah, you were never to say sorry. And, and, and that could simply be because they don't know that you haven't been on your phone, you haven't been drinking, intoxicated or anything like that. So once you, you plead guilty, then the insurance company has a right to back away. So do not plead guilt. They are not going to ask for your forgiveness, even if you know that they are wrong. You'll probably never see that person again, but are you to, to give it? Yes. In, uh, you know, obviously, we, we, uh, people deal with, with road rage. This is, I find to be one of the, the silliest uh, things out there. Someone cuts you off and you get angry and you become bitter to them. Someone that you don't know, will never see again, probably doesn't even know that they've done it, and you become bitter yourself. It is much easier just to forgive them than to be able to be bitter and, and hold, hold on to that. So it means no grudges, no gossip, no slander, no ill thoughts, no bringing it up again in the future. If it is truly forgiven, it doesn't matter.
Max Licardo says, forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realising you are the prisoner. Colossians chapter 3 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Now, I've highlighted the bearing one another because we're not all going to get on. We're going to have our, our own characteristics that just rub each other the wrong way. But we are to bear with one another, and if we do wrong, or we feel that someone's done wrong, and I think that that's important, not everyone is going to feel that they've done wrong by you, even if you think that. Therefore, we are still to forgive. So they go hand in hand. We don't want to maintain that bitterness because it removes the reconciliation. Ultimately, us forgiving others is showing God's love that he has forgiven us so that we wish to forgive others. And unfortunately, we can't always be reconciled with others. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the uh, sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. doesn't matter what they want to do. I, I tell my kids, you, you can't change someone's opinion. You, you can't change their actions. All you can do is your own actions. So as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But there is a warning with forgiveness. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, this doesn't mean that you can lose your salvation. I don't believe once you're a Christian, you can't lose your salvation. God has you in his hand. But what this means is that if you are not going to forgive others, then your relationship with God is going to be tarnished. Um, this is how important it is to have a heart of forgiveness. Once saved, our sins are forgiven. Uh, but our relationship with our Father will become strained. God disciplines those who disobey and don't forget others. John MacArthur states that for someone who doesn't forgive another, God threatens to withhold forgiveness as a day-to-day -day cleansing from Christians. Ultimately, forgiveness is reconciliation. Our reconciliation with others reflecting our reconciliation with God. Hence we get verses like, treat your neighbour as yourself, love your enemies, get along with everyone as much as possible, forgive God as God has forgiven you. Now we come to Philemon. I've gone through all that because Philemon doesn't actually go through any of the commandments about knowledge, uh, about, about forgiveness. Forgiveness, the word forgiveness isn't even mentioned in there. Um, but the first verse, the first word in verse 8 is therefore, which could be read as, as everything that I have explained before. And the first eight or seven verses is the characteristic of Philemon. He's got a love of Christ, love for the saints, his fellowship and knowledge of the blessings, relationship with God. And he's refreshing the saints of the heart. Um, 
in these verses 8 to 20, we are introduced to Onesimus. So Onesimus was a slave of Philemon, and slaves were an important part of society and the economy. Sometimes they were skilled uh, labourers, and, and unlike today, many slaves were treated well, provided with shelter, food, quite often had a better life than what a free man would. But they were also considered to be property, to be dealt with at the owner's will. Philemon had every right under Roman law to put Onesimus in jail, even having him killed for what he had done. And there is um, uh, an account of uh, a fairly wealthy man who had about 500 slaves. One of these slaves went and killed the owner, and then it was decreed that all the other slaves were to be killed as well. So verse 8 and 9a. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. Now we know that Paul is an apostle and he has every right to go and command to Philemon what he should do. But he doesn't. Because we talked about bitterness before. There is no point in commanding someone to, to forgive if all they're going to do is be bitter. And I get a feeling and we'll go through some of the other verses, that I feel that there may be something in there. I, I, I don't know, we're not told, but I feel that there may be something that's stopping Philemon, or, or at least Paul thinks might be stopping Philemon to be able to forgive. Um, yet, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Paul tries to go from the emotional side to appeal from um, uh, Philemon's side to be able to forgive. It would be useless for Paul to instruct Philemon if all Philemon did was outwardly forgive but inwardly be bitter towards Onesimus. We don't know what Onesimus has done. He's probably stolen something of value, but we're not told exactly what. But Paul's also aware of the effects if Philemon uh, doesn't forgive. And some of these effects could be that Jesus would be dishonoured. If, if we forgive because Jesus forgave us and we are reflecting Jesus' love by doing that, then of course if we don't forgive, Jesus has been dishonoured. Bitterness could spread through the church. The church looks to its leaders to, uh, in how it should act. If, if Philemon decides not to forgive Onesimus, then the church may follow suit. Onesimus is also a young Christian, his faith may be fragile. If he's going back to his master and, and the church uh, that he has, let's say, he's been, been raised in as a slave, and then he gets rejected, what does that mean to his faith? And of course, the witness of the church, the world looks into the church, and if they see that the church is unforgiving, then what is the world going to look like? And therefore, the witness of that church would be compromised. And then Philemon, the second part of Philemon 9 and verse 10. Paul likes using um, opposites uh, to be able to uh, ex explain things a bit better. And he says, being such a one as Paul the aged, it's expected he was around age 55 um, and life expectancy may have been in the 60s, so he was getting on. Um, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. 
I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. So Paul again brings out that he is a prisoner. Uh, he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He is a, a prisoner of Rome. Um, but the main comparison here is Paul the aged and my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten. Paul is, is taken on a, a, a father's role here, um, uh, referring to himself as old, uh, requiring uh, some sort of... Um, uh, oh, I've gone blank on the word now. Um, uh, authority because of his age, respect. Um, but then he's also the father to Onesimus, calling him my son. Now, he only calls two other people, uh, Paul only calls two other people, um, son, it's Timothy and Titus. So this is showing the relationship that Paul has with Onesimus. It's also showing the relationship that Philemon should have with, with Onesimus. Because we know that Paul previously has called uh, an, uh, Philemon a brother, but also later on, he, I don't think I've got it here. Oh yeah, verse, verse 19b. He also comes on a little bit later on, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Philemon has, knows Paul and it looks like that Paul has brought Philemon into relationship with Christ. So Paul takes on that fatherly figure with Philemon and now he's doing the same with Onesimus. So he calls them both brothers during the, during the letter. So hopefully it's in Paul's mind, Philemon starts to see this and starts to soften his heart. Then Philemon, verses 11 and 12. The name Onesimus means useful. It was a common slave name. Uh, obviously slaves were youthful, useful, as, as I've mentioned before. Um, and, and Paul has a play on words. Where in verse 11 he says, Who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. It, it, could, it could read, Who once was useless to you, but now is useful to you and to me. When Onesimus ran away, he was definitely useless to Philemon. But now coming to Christ, he has become useful not just to Philemon as he's coming back as a, as a slave, potentially to take up his, his role again, but also useful, profitable in the kingdom of Christ, being able to build up the church and, and share the word. And then in verse 12, Paul says, I am sending him back. And we, we've got to pause there because I mentioned before that Philemon has every right under Roman law to put Onesimus in jail or even have him killed. So Onesimus has taken this letter back and has handed it to Philemon. Paul is expecting Philemon to forgive. But then he says, you therefore receiving, that is my own heart. And heart, is, the word is splakna, which means the inner bowels, the innermost desire. It is my innermost desire that Philemon, you receive Onesimus. Bring him back into the church. He is a fellow brother. So I am sending him back that you may receive him. That is my greatest desire.
And Paul used that word hard or splachna in, in two other places in Philemon. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, talking to Philemon, in Philemon's love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. This is the character of, of Philemon, that he is uh, refreshing the saints. He is building them up. Um, and then to refresh the saints, he's saying, well, now I am sending them back. This is my desire. Your desire is to, to refresh the saints. My desire is the same, that you would receive them and, and allow him to be refreshed and built up. And then in verse uh, 20, Yes, brother, let me have joy. Let Paul have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. You've been refreshing other saints. We have seen this. Now refresh my heart when you receive Onesimus in. Again, being very emotional, pulling on the, the heartstrings, pardon the pun, um, trying to get Philemon to go, look, this is your brother. This is one who is the same as all the other saints that you have been refreshing. Please receive him as well. But again, Paul doesn't want to just push this on and say, look, you must do this. Um, uh, and Paul says, whom I wish to keep with me. He didn't want to let Onesimus go. He's, he's begotten him. He's now a Christian. Um, he's been useful to him, ministering him while he's in his chains. But in verse 14, he says, but without your consent. I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, that there would be no bitterness result in this, that you don't just send Onesimus off uh, without truly forgiving him uh, from your heart. We don't want outward forgiveness, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but be voluntary. You can choose to do this, to truly forgive Onesimus and bring him in to the body of Christ. Whether, he, whether Philemon sends uh, Onesimus back to Paul or, or keeps him, we're, we're not told. Um, and to a point, it doesn't really matter here. It is about Philemon understanding that Onesimus has changed and that forgiveness is required, but it has to be from his heart. It's, it's, as I said before, we can't force people to forgive because then all we do is get outward forgiveness and then we get bitterness. Yeah. Verse 15. For perhaps he has departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. God's hand was obviously at work with all of this. Whatever Onesimus has done, God has led him then to Paul. We're not told whether Onesimus sought Paul out or whether he just came across him. Um, but the purpose of Onesimus departing was that Philemon would receive him not just as a slave anymore, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, one in Christ especially to me, but how much more to you? Both in the flesh and in the Lord. And if we have a look at Onesimus before he leaves and, and when he returns, physically he's still a slave. There is no change to his circumstance. 
when someone comes to Christ, it doesn't mean that they suddenly get a better job. It doesn't mean that their struggles disappear. Physically, they stay the same, but spiritually, Onesimus is no longer a slave to sin. And he's definitely not a slave to hell. He is not going to go to hell, which is, which is what he deserves, because he is now free in Christ, and he is free in heaven. And in verse 17, we have a bit of a, maybe a bit of a veiled threat here. If then you count me as a partner, Philemon, if you count Paul as a partner, a partner in Christ, receive Onesimus as you would me. If you don't receive Onesimus, does that mean we're not partners? If, if Paul were the one who had rocked up to Philemon's uh, house, Philemon would have flung open the doors, would have embraced him, would have brought him in, would have had a, a banquet for him, uh, would have allowed him to speak at the church. How is this any different that Onesimus is returning? He should be treated any different. But again, Paul's bringing up, we are one in Christ. We are partners. Onesimus is also a partner, so receive him as you would me. Again, not, in, not instructing or, or commanding that Philemon would forgive, but saying, this is the reality of it. If you're not going to forgive, where is your heart at, Philemon? And when it comes to forgiving, there may be something that stops us from being able to forgive truly. There, there may be, whether it be physical or, or some harm, uh, some hurt, there may be something that we really struggle with to be able to forgive someone. And Paul totally understands this. And, and here, Paul has been a Christ-like figure. And he starts off and he says, but if Onesimus has wronged you or owes you anything... Again, we don't know what's happened. It looks like Onesimus may have stolen something. Wronged could simply be that he's run away. But then Paul says, put that on my account. Do not let this be a hindrance for you to forgive. And if it is, give it to me. Do not keep it to yourself. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Which we talked about before, which is uh, Paul has brought Philemon into Christ and he's just mentioning this uh, uh, to him that that is the reason that you really should be forgiving. It's, it's not because uh, Onesimus has done something wrong, though that is why uh, there has to be some sort of forgiveness, but it's because God has forgiven Philemon so much more than what Philemon has been asked to forgive of Onesimus. And then verse 20. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord, 
refresh my heart in the Lord. In verse 7, he's already said that we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. Now Paul is asking, let me have joy that you would receive Onesimus, that you would forgive him. And we should be doing the same thing, that when we have reconciliation between believers, there, there should be joy that's happening there. We, we don't want to have division between individuals. We don't want to have division between the church. We don't want to have division between us and God. So there should be joy. There should be celebration. And he's just linking it again back to the characteristic of, of Philemon, that this is Philemon's character, that he, he looks after the saints. He refreshes them. Paul has joy because of that. Now he wants to have joy that there will be one more into the flock. But the big question at the end of all this, when we talk about forgiveness now, is how is your forgiveness? Is there anything that you are harbouring that you need to forgive? Is there something that's stopping you from being able to forgive? That if, if there is, then there is your relationship with God is not as good as it could be. And I appeal to you to look into your heart and forgive if there is something. C.S. Lewis said, to be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Let us pray. Dear Lord, what you want most in this world is to be reconciled with you. And that is why you have put that warning in there that we are to forgive others, to show your love to each other, to show your love to the world, that we don't harbour any bitterness, we don't harbour any ill will, that we should forgive one another, build each other up, and don't have any of this division. I pray that if anyone does have any forgiveness, uh, the issues, Lord, that whether they be big or small, that we would all take it to you, that we would ask for your help, Lord. I, I pray that if there are hindrances in uh, being able to forgive, I pray that either you would resolve them or that someone would come alongside and, and help. Show that sacrificial love by giving up something for someone else. I'm always amazed at, at Paul's letters when he writes, and it's never about himself. Pure joy for what someone else has done. Joy that someone has come to Christ. It's all about building up your kingdom. And I pray that any division, any non-reconciliation can be resolved so that we can build up the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord. Amen.